Well, welcome to the Multiplex Theater. This is Auditorium One. Uh, History of the Church is the feature this evening. Auditorium Two, a little later, there's some Western comedy playing over there. Uh, I've heard rave reviews about it, very good reviews, five stars. Of course, I was talking to the cast, but, you know, they said it's really good. Now it is. How many of you have been to the melodrama? How many of you are going next? How many of you wish this was the melodrama? (laughs) All right. All right, we'll get you out in time to make the next feature. Uh, We do have some guests here tonight that have come for the other performance, but we appreciate you coming in here uh, prior to that. What we're doing on Sunday nights this year is uh, discussing some topics that people ask about, basic questions about the Bible, and we've looked at five big topics. We're on topic number six, and topic number six is, why are there so many churches? Lots of folks in the world wonder that. They ask that question in all different forms and formats. Uh, you know, if there's, everybody's following Jesus, how come there's so many churches? If we all got the same Bible, how come there's so many churches? So we began that study last week. going to continue for the next two Sunday evenings after this and uh, wrap it up for the year. All right, you got a handout, hopefully, as you came in, and we covered the first page last week pretty well, and if you just got your first one, please make some corrections there. I don't want you to go home and try to look it up and wonder what that verse is about. Down at the bottom, uh, it's got a, a, two verses in the bottom third of the page there. The first one says Acts 28.30. It should be Acts 20.30. Please change that in case anybody finds this laying around somewhere and thinks we don't know what we're talking about. We're just bad typists. I'm just a bad typist. And then the other one is not 1 Thessalonians, it's 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So if you make those corrections, other than that, I got all my scriptures right. Of course, that was the only two scriptures on there. But All right, back page. Uh, what we did last week was kind of investigate the what changed and why men change things and uh, create different divisions and all that among Christ's church. Uh, tonight, I want to look at the, the big picture of church history, and I know some of you have done this before uh, with me. Actually, it was like seven years ago, I think, we'd, we did this church history, uh, so most of you probably don't remember it. Uh, but I personally use this chart or some form of it or a brief description of it a whole lot. And that's what we're trying to do here on Sunday nights is when people ask questions, be able to give them a reasonable, uh, sensible answer. Uh, I've used this chart or some variation of it uh, many, many times as a first Bible study with somebody. Uh, somebody that uh, is a brand new Christian, maybe, uh, or somebody that is seeking, doesn't know anything about Christianity, uh, somebody that has no background at all. Uh, and I know a lot of people just start in studying the Bible and uh, uh, 
fix the authority of the Bible and go from there. But I think this is really helpful to understand this, especially since so many people ask the question, why are there so many churches? Once you go through this and understand some history, uh, it really becomes pretty clear. Uh, Lots of people that are coming to Christ for the first time may have heard things or just coming to the Church of Christ. Uh, They they, they know there's some odd things about us. The music is different and uh, a few other things. Uh, Going through this chart just completely erases all those questions. Once you've been through this, people don't ask, well, why do you do this and why don't you do that? It becomes real clear uh, why we do certain things the way we do. Uh, But people that know no history are bound to repeat it, I guess the old saying goes. So uh, let's just do the the big picture and we won't go into huge detail on this. Uh, In fact, let me say a couple of things. Well, I'll wait till we get down to the chart here first. Let's do that little box up at the top first. And that's a real good little summary of what the Bible says about the church. Somebody asks, why are there so many churches? Say, well, let's talk first about what the Bible says. And the Bible says that the church, a church, was promised. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, just one church. Uh, He established it. It came into being. In Acts chapter 2, you can read about that. Uh, After Acts chapter 2, the church is always talked about in the present tense. Before Acts chapter 2, it's always talked about in the future tense. I will build my church. After Acts chapter 2, it just starts talking about the church exists. It's in the present. Uh, Who is in the church? Uh, Acts 2.47 answers that. Saved people. Whoever was saved, whoever obeyed Jesus and was baptized, he put them in the church. So that's what the Bible says about church. Now you keep reading and you get over into the letters, and Paul says there's only one. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, there's one church. That's what the Bible says about the church. Ephesians 1.22 says Jesus is the head of the church. There's no man, there's no person, there's no group of people who are the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, In John 17, Jesus himself prayed that his people, his followers, his church is what that word means, the called out to Jesus, that they would be unified. He said, I want all of my followers to be one so that the world may believe. Well, you look at this chart and you see why the world doesn't believe. All the people that claim to follow Jesus aren't one, aren't anywhere close to one. Unity is commanded in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Paul to a church in Corinth said, be one, but be agreed, have the same mind. Don't divide the church. And then there's a couple of places in the New Testament where we are warned that division would come. And I think if you read those verses, and we won't take time tonight, but if you read them, it specifically prophesies things that church will divide about, false teaching, and it's being taught today. 
You don't have to make a big deal of that when you're talking to people and introducing them to this timeline. But you read those verses up front, and they think, aha, I've heard of that. Where'd that come from? Well, as you go through the chart, you'll see where those false teachings came from. So that's the picture the Bible gives. Now, how close is that to what we see in the real world? Absolutely not even remotely close. Uh, I call it the Church of the Bible and the Church of the Yellow Pages. You look in the Yellow Pages and look for church. Well, you'll find hundreds of brands and uh, multi-brands underneath brands and subdivisions of those smaller brands, and uh, there's all kinds of churches. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible just says one church. Okay. So how did we get from the one church of the Bible uh, to the church of the yellow pages that we have today? This chart kind of starts to explain it. A couple of things about this chart, so you little caveats here. First of all, it's not complete. Uh, complete chart showing all the divisions, subdivisions, and all that would fill all the walls we got in here. Uh, there are so many subdivisions, and et cetera. Uh, I think I counted up, and I think I got like 16 church names on this chart. Uh, there's about 2,600 in the world today that claim to be Christian churches, 2,600 that claim to be followers of Christ, that are divided in, they have denominated themselves into a group. Now, within that group, there's probably more divisions. But this is by no means complete. I've got 16 names, and there's hundreds more times that. Uh, second thing is it's not accurate. Now, it's pretty close to accurate, but I wouldn't fight to the death over whether 1534 or 1560 was exactly right uh, because you'd spend all your time doing that. Somebody could look at this and say, hey, Lutheran Church didn't start in 1534. I can prove it started in 1536. Okay, fine. Uh, and it's, it's impossible to be accurate because these things are developments that were, it took a process, it took a while. When somebody first started thinking of starting a denomination, actually hardly anybody ever started thinking that. Luther said, I don't want my followers to ever call themselves after me. So he had no intention of starting a denomination, but somebody did. So that time period there, I don't know how long that was that it took to happen, but these are generally agreed upon dates when something happened, when some denomination officially recognized themselves as a denomination or some doctrine was issued. So don't fight over a couple of years one way or the other. Uh, it's pretty close. All right. Uh, okay, I think that's all we've got to take care of before we start looking at this. Okay, the way I laid this chart out is the one I made that top bar go all the way across because the, the church of the Bible still exists. The church of the Bible, if you follow the biblical teaching, you still get the church of the Bible. 
If you plant the gospel seed, you'll get a Christian and nothing else. So that exists. But what's happened in the real world is kind of pictured down here in the the church through history. And that first big box on the left, I made that all go downhill because it's the first thousand years of Christianity. And during that thousand years, it got farther and farther away from the church of the Bible. We call that term for it is the apostasy, the falling away. Okay? The church just kept degenerating, if you want to use that word, or changing or getting farther and farther from what we read in the Bible. It took a thousand years. Those people that were in that thousand years were still the only Christians. You either followed Jesus or you followed Baal or somebody. But if you followed Jesus, you're in this box. Now, as Christianity spread, people began to organize things differently. And that's the first change I put there. And that's the change we talked about last week. Man started to mess with the organization. Uh, Very, very early, by 150 A.D., men were already changing the organization, and instead of having elders in a local congregation, a local city, they were starting to build an organization. They started to make a difference between a regular elder at a congregation and a bishop that was over more congregations, and they began to come up with what they called patriarchs, and it kind of evolved into the five big cities. Antioch and Rome and Constantinople and Jerusalem and Alexandria all had a patriarch in them that kind of became, started to become the head of the church. That's just 100 years after Jesus. That's how fast things started to change. And you look at the Bible, it says nothing about that kind of thing. Neither Jesus nor the apostles or anybody authorized that kind of thing, but that's what man started to do. So once those five patriarchs, if you will, got in position, they started making the rules, if you will. We talked about that last week. When you start a different organization, it's easier. Once it's got a hierarchy, then it's easier to change things. When things spread out all over the world in small, isolated, autonomous congregations, it's hard to change things. But with the hierarchy, it gets easy. So they started to make decisions, and I put just a very few of them here to show you how the things went as the thousand years of apostasy went along. Uh, Clinical baptism is an interesting one. About 251, uh, up to 251, everybody that wanted to be a Christian uh, was immersed. Because that's what the word baptism means. That's what everybody did. They were immersed. Okay. In 251, they came up with a case of a guy that was so sick that to dip him in water would probably kill him. So somebody said, well, wouldn't it be all right if we just pour some water on this poor guy and make it count? I understand that reasoning. I mean, it's human reasoning. And so somebody said, yeah, boy, that's dangerous to get away from what Jesus commanded, 
Let's do it this time, and let's call it clinical baptism. So, so we admit that it's different. It's not quite really baptism, but we're going to try it on this guy and hope it works. Now, that was 251. You see over there on the next major vertical line, 1311 says sprinkling. Okay, It took over a thousand years for the Christians in the world to finally say, Okay, we're going to count sprinkling. That's as good as immersion. Okay, Now, in one sense, that's kind of slow change, isn't it? A thousand years to make a change like that. But on the other hand, it's pretty quick falling away. And once you understand how that happens and see that we're only in year 2000-something, uh, you see how changes happen. Uh, 325 was the first time somebody said, you know, we need to write down a creed. We need to make sure everybody's on the same page. We need to write down what we believe, what the church believes about Christ, about Christianity, and that'll settle it. Now, one reason for that was that was a little bit after Constantine became a Christian. Uh, Constantine ran Constantinople. And uh, he became a Christian, and that really messed everything up. Uh, It caused all sorts of problems because he made it the state religion. He started telling people they ought to be Christians. He started giving benefits to Christians. He started organizing things like the first human creed. Okay, So he just hastened the, the mess up of things, if you will. Uh, made it a little easier to be a Christian. You weren't persecuted anymore, but he messed up everything too. Okay, first human creed, 325. Before that, it wasn't written down. Nobody said here is exactly what we believe about everything. Uh, 593, I think it is down there. The doctrine of purgatory was uh, developed, is the, a nice word, concocted is a more accurate word. Uh, because it, it came out of whole cloth. It was just made up uh, because it seemed like a comforting doctrine. And purgatory began to be taught by the Christian church. Now understand, this is still all the Christians in the world. Five patriarchs are kind of running things and they're changing rules every once in a while and making up new doctrines and uh, agreeing on certain doctrines. As you can imagine, anybody ever work any place that had five bosses? That doesn't work well. Uh, they began to fight among themselves until one guy wants to be the head boss. That's the way it works in the world. Okay, So these five guys did the same thing. They began to think, well, this thing would be more efficient if we had one head. Okay? Well... It took a few years. I don't know when the first guy thought of it. I think they started to battle a long time before this. Uh, They began to think about it and plan about it. Uh, In 588, which is just a very few years before that 606 date I put on there, in 588, the patriarch of Constantinople and the bishop of, or the patriarch of Rome, 
kind of had a little battle, and the patriarch of Rome, Gregory the Great, said, you know, he said, I think I'll be the head of the church. He said, well, there's five of us, that's not efficient. He said, I will be the head man. And John, John the Faster, who was the patriarch of Constantinople, said, if you say that, you're the Antichrist. I mean, that's what they thought about it back then. They said, the Bible doesn't say you can have one man over the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Okay. Now, now you see how strange this is. There's five patriarchs running the church, which the Bible doesn't say anything about. But they were still drawing the line at some of the things the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. You can't have a man head of the church. So that went on for a few years. And finally, in 606... Uh, Boniface III was the patriarch of Rome, and he had enough soldiers in the army of Rome then that when he said, I'm going to be the first head of the church, everybody else said, well, okay. So he became the first one person head of the church, the father of the church, the papa of the church, the pope. So that's where that came from in 606. Weren't any popes before that. Weren't any one heads of the church. Uh, there were bishops of Rome and bishops of all the other places, but uh, none of them were presumptuous enough to call themselves the one head and still, until Boniface got away with it. Uh, 690, somebody introduced instrumental music to the worship in the church. Before that, it was all a cappella, which means church music. Uh, but it was almost 700 years before somebody introduced some instrumental music. And now pay attention here. When it gets introduced is a whole different thing from everybody accepting it. Okay. It was introduced for the first time. Somebody proposed it in 690. Before pretty well everybody agreed with it, it was 1250. Took almost 700 years for the church to gradually accept instrumental music as worship to God. Yeah. And by 1250, pretty well, uh, everybody accepted it as not too big a problem, except the Eastern Church, which we'll talk about in a little while. Okay, um, down to 1015, uh, the celibacy of priests. Somebody came up with this doctrine that, all right, priests ought to be married to Christ and therefore not marry. Okay? That was one of the specific warnings uh, up in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. Paul said, people are going to follow doctrines of demons. They're going to command people not to marry. Well, it took 1015 years before it came true, but it came true. And that's where the celibacy of priests came from. And if you look at the uh, situation today and the, the part of the Christian world that still teaches that, uh, you can see what that produces. It's not natural. It messes things up. A man wasn't designed for that. So it causes all sorts of problems. Okay. Anyhow, so that was just a real brief summary of some of the things that happened in that thousand years. Now bear in mind, still, 
everybody that called themselves a Christian was in this group of people. Uh, in 1054 was the Great Division. Okay? And we'll, yeah, we'll go just a little further here. The Great Division happened in 1054 because the Eastern Church, Constantinople and that group, had lots of problems with the Western Church, which was run by Rome, who got to be the first pope and became the head of the church, and they began to call themselves the Roman Church. Well, the, the Catholic Church, Catholic just means universal, and then they began to say, well, we're headquartered in Rome, so we're the Roman Catholic Church, which is an oxymoron. You can't have a Roman universal church. But that's what they called it. Well, the Eastern Church didn't go along with a lot of this stuff that was getting decided over these years. Um, and so the Eastern Church, what we call the Greek Orthodox today, generally, uh, in 1054 said, all right, we're done. We're separated. Bishop in Rome, Pope in Rome, you can go run the Western Church. We're going to run our half. Okay? And they came up with their own archbishop that runs things, and they took care of the eastern side of the world and said, we're going to run our own operation here. Uh, the biggies that they separated over, because this was a huge division, uh, the biggies that they separated over was the existence of the Pope. They never did buy that the guy in Rome could be the head of the whole church. They didn't like that. Uh, purgatory, they didn't like that. They didn't think that was a true doctrine. They taught otherwise. Music, they didn't think you could have instrumental music. Okay? And the Greek Orthodox or Western Eastern Church still today sings a cappella. And what really tipped them over the edge was the indulgences, which came a little bit later, but that concept of giving indulgences for sin. So those four major things tipped the Eastern Christians over the edge, and they said, we're done. We're not going to associate with Rome. We're, we're a different group. Uh, we're going to run things ourselves, and the guy in Rome can run the Western church. Okay. So after that great division, things started to kind of rumble in the, the Western church. The Eastern church has stayed pretty stable. The, the Eastern church is different in some ways. Uh, but I was talking to somebody the other day. They introduced their wife to me, I think, and she said she'd grown up Eastern Orthodox. And I said, well, you're not very different from the church of Christ. She looked at me kind of funny, and they really aren't. I mean, they got a lot more icons, and uh, their buildings are really spectacular if you ever go to one. Lots of things like that, different. But a lot of the basic theology, immersion for baptism, uh, a cappella singing, uh, a lot of what we teach, they teach. Okay? They stayed pretty close, comparatively. To the Western Church, they stayed pretty close to the Church of the Bible. They organized a little different, and they got archbishops. And I'm not saying they're doing everything just perfect, but they, they hadn't strayed too far in 2,000 years compared to what else we see. Anyhow, uh, 
within the Western Church, or by now definitely the Roman Catholic Church, uh, things began to stir. Uh, people began to become disenchanted with what was going on and started to try to reform things. And I put two timelines down there at the bottom. Uh, I put 1300 to 1500 as the pre-Reformation, and then 1500, when Luther started his thing, up to 1800, was the Reformation movement. Uh, we won't get time to talk about all of those today. We'll finish up next week and then go on to how we do this. But the pre-Reformation was when guys within the church, and a lot of them were priests within the church, began to teach against things that the church taught. They began to say, this isn't right. Okay. Well, they got, in that period of time particularly, they got treated very harshly. Okay, we're kind of coming out of the dark ages here and things are still pretty rough. Uh, John Wycliffe, for instance, uh, said that the Pope was the Antichrist. He said, you can't have a Pope over the whole church. And he said, if you claim to be that, you're the Antichrist. Well, uh, he said that and then died not too long after that. Uh, they exhumed his body and burned it to show people that you can't challenge the church like that. Okay? It's a very strange, violent, vicious history, if you will, right in there in that pre-Reformation time. Uh, people were dealt with very harshly for challenging the church. Uh, John Huss began to challenge the church. He was excommunicated and killed. church put him to death. Uh, Jerome of Prague uh, began to teach against the church. They burned him at the stake. Okay. So you read the history through those couple of hundred years there, and people that challenged uh, official church doctrine didn't live that long. They were kind of the pre-reformers. Okay? And you can read a lot of history on that. But then about 1500, uh, what I called the Reformation movement, uh, began with Luther as the, the most famous one. Uh, Luther was a Catholic priest. Uh, German, great theologian, great... Uh, Great songwriter, for that matter. Uh, he, he was a brilliant man. Did all sorts of things. But things began to bother him within the church which he served. And he was a lifelong priest. But he began to see some things that bothered him. Uh, the main one, the, the really big one that got him tipped over the edge, if you will, uh, was about... 1500, I don't know exactly when in there. Somewhere Pope Julius decided he was going to rebuild St. Peter's. Okay? And he was going to do it right. It was going to be really nice, which if you've been to St. Peter's, it's really nice. Okay? He needed a lot of money to do that, a lot of gold, a lot of money. So he started raising money, and his best money raiser was a guy named John Tetzel, Johann Tetzel. And Tetzel went traveling around to the parishes all over the known world 
and sold indulgences for dead people. I know it sounds kind of strange, but that's what he did. He went to churches or to uh, parishes, congregations of the, the church, and came in and gave his speech and said that he would sell them indulgences. If you give me money, I will get your relative out of purgatory. Okay? His little slogan was, as soon as the coins hit the box, the souls spring forth from purgatory. Okay? So that's what he was doing. And Martin Luther, sitting there watching this, said, hold it. You know, this is just, this is over the edge. I mean, a lot of things bothered Luther. But this one, he said, I, I, this is crazy. <laughs> the church can't sell the right to get people out of purgatory. You know, I mean, he believed in purgatory. That's what he'd been trained. He believed you pray, you get people out of purgatory that way. And this guy was selling get out free charge. Okay. So that got him really headed the direction that I got to do something. I can't let this go on. He loved the church. He loved the Holy Mother Church. He wanted to serve it. But it was getting so far off track, he said, I got to do something to bring us back to our senses. So he wrote down, I said a lot of things bothered him. He wrote down 95 things that bothered him. He wrote down 95 things that he thought ought to be reformed, changed, go back to the way the Bible said to do things. He wrote them on a document. He took them down to the castle church where he lived and nailed them on the door. He said, here's my protest against the church. I want these 95 things dealt with. We need to reform them. That started quite a battle, to say the least. Uh, he was tried and convicted and as a heretic and threatened with death and it caused all sorts of trouble. But he was the first one, and he incited a bunch of others uh, to begin asking for reform also. Uh, so from that, lots of divisions started to come off of the Western Church, and we'll talk about, we'll go over them real quickly next week, uh, wrap this chart up, and then start talking about how do you really have unity, how is that possible. So uh, we're about out of time here. We'll finish up next week. Uh, the rest of the chart is semi-self-understandable, uh, I guess. You can see where things came from. Uh, let me explain down at the bottom there. I put a couple of things at the bottom there's some that don't really fit into the church. They're, they're just an individual or somebody that came up with their own doctrine, like Mormonism. It didn't come off of anything. Joseph Smith just kind of dreamed it up. Okay. So it just kind of exists out there as its own little group. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, kind of like that. Christian Science, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, we'll talk about those briefly. And then the other thing I put down at the bottom is the restoration movement, which we are a part of, uh, started about 1800 and is still going on today. Uh, and that kind of came out of a number of different churches, which we'll talk about next week. All right, hopefully that explains a little bit of history to you. And since some of you won't be back, let me wrap up with this. When I use this as a teaching tool for a brand new Christian or Somebody that's seeking, after you've gone through all this and see where things come from, 
then you say, all right, the restoration movement, our concept is, if you don't stay just with this, you'll end up with this. Yeah. The only way to avoid this is to just say, let's just stay in here. If this says it, we'll do it. If this doesn't say it, we won't do it. Now, that may sound kind of strict and crazy and unrealistic, but if you reason through it, it really is the only way to stay with the church of the Bible. So once you've done that, a lot of these things make sense. Why don't you have a piano or organ? Because the New Testament doesn't say to have one. Okay? And there was a great divide in 1054 over that. You know, So we've decided we'll just do what the Bible says and hope, hope that will be pleasing to God. So a lot of questions get answered when you don't know a little history. Okay, time's up. Let's quit there. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you in any way we can. Brother Charles, come and lead this song. Let's stand and sing.